Hey everybody, this is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Mike Van Meter Show, and this is your one-stop shop for everything having to do with conservatism, the Constitution, patriotism, and really, frankly, I think just the right way to live your life. That's the way I look at it, as always, and uh, I'm continuing on now with a series of interviews of, of people that just ran for office here in the Commonwealth of Virginia in November of 2023 and want to get their feedback on what it was like to run for office, kind of what inspired them and uh, the whole process. Just what, what was it like to give all of you an insight into the election process here in Virginia, uh, you know, the things that are going right, things that are going wrong, and what we can do to improve so we can get the Commonwealth of Virginia back to being read and uh, conservative, as it has traditionally been and really ought to be right now. But we're going to talk to my friend Philip Hamilton here, who uh, ran for the Virginia State Senate, and I'm going to have him introduce himself, talk about what the de- district looked like for him and, and what the election was like. And so with that, Philip, welcome to the show. Well, good evening, and thank you for having me on. And I appreciate you having me on uh, during my race a few months ago. I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it but, really uh, does. But it was really just, yeah. what, two two weeks ago? I think it was about two weeks ago now. Yeah, yeah. It's It's been two weeks since uh, uh, Election Day. And, uh, you know, life's taken on a different pace. You know, now I'm focused on my work. Um, you know, I'm still involved politically, but more in the shadows. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't really really big disappointment, Uh, especially, um, I know you worked really hard on your Senate race. You know, I worked really hard for 15 months because I announced in August, 2022. And, uh, but you know, there's some positives I'll take out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I spent 82 cents per vote and deed spent over $31 per vote. And out of all the Republicans who lost, uh, two weeks ago, actually, I got the most raw votes. We're not talking percentages. We're talking about raw, like, individual voters. Uh, and, you know, that's something to be proud of. And, you know, I definitely am going to carry that torch, you know, going in uh, the next go around. And, you know, we got 73% of the vote in uh, Amherst County. Uh, mm-hmm. Deeds only got about 2,000 votes. Uh, you know, we won Louisa County. Uh, I lost Nelson County by about 150 votes, so it was very close. But what really surprised me was that in Almore County, the majority of my votes actually came from the most liberal part of the district. That really shocked me because we had over 10,000 votes in Almore County. And we actually won the Scottsville precinct. We also won Pantops, uh, which is where I got the majority of my votes when I ran for the House of Delegates against Sally Hudson two years ago. And we almost defeated Deeds in the Monticello. So that was another surprise. But uh, yeah, we're going to have to come out of a different strategy next go around. Uh, you know, I, I was thankful for a lot of support that I did get from the Republican Senate caucus. They connected me with Red Maverick Media, who revamped my website, who got signs out to me, who did my palm cards and, you know, gave me just advice during the course of the campaign and i definitely appreciate you know what they did and you know i got to meet with senator mark obenshane at a a republican uh club meeting and he introduced me at a meeting where uh delegate chris reunion was so you know i appreciate you know mark obenshane and what he did 
And I also, you know, appreciate, uh, you know, other organizations like Convention of States, you know, because I've been a big proponent for term limits and balanced budget amendment for Congress. And that's a mechanism that we can initiate through an Article 5 convention, which is passed in the Virginia House of Delegates in 2016, but has not passed the Senate. And, you know, I was hoping as the next freshman senator to be an additional vote for Convention of States in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But unfortunately, you know, Democrats just don't support that. They don't want term limits. They don't want uh, a balance. But I mean, they, they want to continue this, you know, out of control government spending, uh, you know, Keynesian economics from the Nixon area. They think we can just spend out of our way out of a recession. And it just doesn't work like that. And uh, uh, but, you know, they hit over it was actually about 5,000 doors they hit for me within um, Amherst County and uh, Albemarle County. But what really surprised me is that even though we had so many doors that we hit in Amherst and, you know, I got 73% of the vote over there. We had a really solid majority. We only had about 6,000 people who turned out to vote out of a County that has over 22,000 people registered to vote. Yeah, It's a very overwhelmingly, Republican county, but that tells me a lot of Republicans stayed home, mm-hmm. and not just in Amherst County, but in the three other counties I was running in. You know, we, Republicans. You know, if, if if we, you know, if Republicans came out and voted their values, and they didn't just vote in the presidential years, and they voted every year in Virginia, we'd be winning a lot more elections. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm sure you have some thoughts about that as well. I do. Yep. I do. And by the way, before we get to that, just uh, as a reminder, kind of give the boundaries uh, for listeners where you're, because you're in the Charlottesville area, but what, what's sort of the the area that you covered? Well, the, the, the area consists of uh, Charlottesville City, the entirety of Albemarle County, um, and includes Louisa County, like Trevilian Station, Zion Crossroads, um, and also, uh, you know, Green Springs area, like Gordonsville. Um, so the parts of Louisa County out West that John McGuire was not running in for the 10th Senate district race. Uh, it also includes the entirety of Nelson County and the entirety of Amherst County. And this district was different from, uh, the, t- the former 25th district that deeds had run in before, because in the past you had Altmar County. You had Nelson, but you also had Allegheny and you had uh, Bath counties and Allegheny and Bath counties combined only had about 20,000 people combined. And uh, with Amherst County, you know, you have over 20,000 people in Louisa. We had about 7,000 people. So bigger population to work with. Fortunately, more Republicans in this new district. So that was a plus for me. But the negative was, while we had more Republicans and we did pick up 3,000 additional Republican votes compared to 2019, we just still had too many people sit home uh, and we didn't win the race. Yeah, and I'm glad that you you mentioned that because when I look at my own district, which is uh, the 33rd, which is uh, southern Fairfax County, eastern Prince William County, it is definitely blue. I mean, when you look at the voting record, it, it goes blue. It's been doing that for quite a while. 
But the fact is that if every Republican showed up, we would have won. And that's true in your race as well. So the question is going to be, what is it going to take for Republicans to take all this anger, all this uh, frustration with the direction that not only Virginia is going, but the, the country is going? I mean, look, here we are at late November of 2023. And it looks like the world is about to be on fire and everybody is upset with the wokeness that has just come across the nation and in the state, particularly in northern Virginia, where I'm at. That's all we hear about. But yet. We don't come out and vote. I, I have no idea why anybody that claims to be a conservative or has an R behind their name, why, why you would not vote in these elections. And if COVID taught us one thing, it taught us that the local, state and local governments are affecting you much more, or at least as much, as the federal government does. But yet people will come out for the presidential election, but they're not coming out for the state and local elections. And I just don't understand that, Philip. I don't. And we ask for good candidates to run. We plead for good candidates to run. And they do. Like you ran, I did. And the we had a lot of great candidates up here in Northern Virginia. And we ran. And we sacrificed ourselves, our families, our health, our you know spiritual health, uh, emotional health, physical health. And we run and nothing. What, what do you think is going on? What What is it that's causing people to not come out? Is it just apathy? Because we work. We work very hard. You worked very hard. I worked very hard. But we don't show up. And I don't get that. Do you understand? Well, yeah, no, there, there's folks, you know, who I talk to going door to door and going to events. And, you know, I mean, January 6th of 2021 is still a big issue in people's minds. I mean, I was one of those protesters who was at the Capitol holding a stop the steal sign. I mean, we knew what was going on. I mean, you know, there's various states that were sending out mail-in ballots to everybody. And that just drastically increased um, the, the amount of fraud that was going on. And, you know, when you have George Stephanopoulos, who was interviewing Rand Paul in 2021 and saying, well, there is no election fraud. I mean, that is baloney. I mean, there there is some level of fraud in every presidential election. It's just that we wanted to find out, was the amount of fraud that existed, was it enough to tilt the tide in a certain direction, you know, and we may never find out uh, truly if, if it was or not. Uh, the Supreme Court wasn't willing to hear the, the court cases the tr Trump administration initiated. And, um, you know, and after the fallout, after we, you know, we're not uh, after Mike Pence failed to step up and say, we're not going to decertify uh, some of the votes. Uh, I think people became discouraged. They, they said, like, well, where's the election integrity? And uh, they decided to sit down because they said, well, my vote doesn't matter uh, because we knew that fraud was coming, was, was occurring. And I know there was, um, there's some documentaries that have been highlighting these ballot drop boxes and people just stuffing um, these drop boxes. And, and even the Democrats, you, you, there was an election earlier this year where it had to be recalled uh, in a court order by a judge saying they had to redo an election for a mayor's race, I believe. So we know what's happening. But, you know, the thing is, we shouldn't just let the Democrats have it. Because uh, when you sit at home and you don't vote, you're pretty much giving uh, these offices to, uh, you know, the candidates that don't support your beliefs. 
So, you know, you have to get out and vote just to give the Republicans a fighting chance, even even though some election fraud does exist and does occur. It doesn't mean that you should just sit it out and just give it out to, to the Democrats and give them an automatic win. Uh, so we, we got to fight back with messaging and say, hey, you know, we, we are we realize there are problems. You know, Virginia, we have 45 day voting. We have, um, you know, mail in ballots that don't require a notary signature. We have same day voter registration. I mean, we have all sorts of issues. But until you uh, elect a slate of Republicans, we can't change the election laws. And, you know, for four years, we're not going to be able to because uh, Governor Youngkin's going to be a lame duck uh, governor because uh, he's going to have a, a Democrat House of Delegates and a Democrat Senate. And that's what happens when when people stay at home. But, you know, another thing I want to bring up, too, is that, <clears throat> you know, some of the fault also goes on the governor, too. You know, he raised over $20 million with the Spirit of Virginia PAC. And, I, you know, I think it's great that he went in and was giving money to certain candidates uh, to help them out, including Bill Wolf. I know he got $90,000 at one point and he was given another check. I mean, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that they were they were helping out those candidates. However, uh, the Democrats, what they do is that everybody, if you're running as a Democrat for state office, um, you know, House delegates, Senate, everyone gets a piece of the pie. They're all sharing money with each other. But the Republicans, it doesn't work like that. If you're not part of the, you know, the popular club, as I call it, if you're not, uh, you know, a preferred candidate for the governor or, or whatnot, and you get zilch from, you know, the spirit of Virginia. And I think that was a failing uh, mechanism that, uh, you know, I think it was bad advice from the governor's political consultants, because even some of his preferred candidates did not win. And I know that you got as many votes as, I think it was Bill Wolf, right? Yeah. You and him had, had about the same amount of votes, but you only raised about 20 some thousand dollars. And Wolf, you know, had a much larger cache of, of money thanks to the governor. And had you had had more money, I'm sure you could have increased the turnout. And, you know, you look at Julie Perry, she didn't get any money from the governor either and got 40% of the vote. I mean, just imagine if Yunkin stepped in and helped out with her race. Yeah. Um, we could have flipped the seat uh, for the Senate in Fairfax. Yeah. I, uh, I had just about, I think she had just under 40. I had about 38% of the vote. And, you know, Bill Wolf did actually have more total votes than I did, but he also had a, a lot more money than I had to spend as well. And so your point's well taken. I mean, we, who knows what would have happened if I'd have had money and, and support. And I, you know, I understand why the governor did what he did. He followed the advice of the, the political pros, so to speak. But uh, you would have thought that in time he would have adjusted and he, and he would have helped out. And I, I never understood that. I mean, it wasn't just money. It was giving overt endorsements uh, to candidates or not giving them to candidates. You know, I never got an overt endorsement. I, I never understood that. I, I never understood why there wasn't more support in that arena because who knows what would have happened. I actually won precincts. And there was a number of precincts that I was less than 100 votes of, of winning. And it, would that have changed? The, would that have turned the tide? I don't know. We'll never know. But I do know this, 
that I believe, this is my opinion, and I think that you share this opinion, that you owe it to those that are in your party, representing your party, that stepped up to the plate to do this. You did. They deserve some sort of support, and I just never felt like I got it. Was that true of you? Oh, I 100% agree with you on that. I mean, two weeks before the election, actually, I sent a letter to uh, Governor Yunkin, mailed to his home address in Great Falls, and I emailed to him, and I, I also emailed it to uh, Matt Moran with the Spear of Virginia PAC, and we got no response. But we said, hey, Governor, you know, I'm a Republican candidate. We have, you know, eight other Republican Senate candidates who hadn't got any funding from Sphere of Virginia. You know, give us a piece of the pie. Make these races more competitive, you know, so that way we can buy mailers, television ads, and, and more. And uh, we got no response, which to me was shocking. And it showed that the governor was not serious about flipping the Senate. I mean, you look at Tony Goodwin, who's running against Louise Lucas, and, you know, if if Yunkin was serious about flipping the Senate, he would have said, hey, Louise Lucas is my arch enemy. She is throwing my bills in the trash. I'm going to finance her opponent. And Yunkin just ignored that race. He didn't do any rallies for Tony Goodwin. Uh, he didn't give any money to him. And I thought that was a very unfortunate uh, decision that he made. And same thing. He didn't show up to Louisa, Albemarle. Nelson, Amherst counties, there was no rallies from from Yunkin or from Winsome Sears. Now, Jason Mieres, to give him credit, did come to Charlottesville in September uh, for a, you know, get out the vote um, uh, rally with former delegate Rob Bell. And uh, I thought it was great to have our attorney general over there to energize the base. But, you know, if we had the governor or the lieutenant governor there, uh, that would certainly have uh, been a big plus. And, you know, Governor Yunkin's with David Owens on multiple occasions. You know, he's, he won his race, fortunately, against Susanna Gibson, who I call the, uh, the, the porn star <laughs> who's running for office. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she, uh, uh, she said that her privacy was violated, but she actually posted videos of her fornicating with her husband yeah. online. And there's, there's no age verification. I mean, how stupid can you be that you post these videos? There's no age ver verification. I mean, I just couldn't believe that she did that. Uh, but Yunkin, he went in and, uh, and did a fundraiser with David Owens, which uh, I did attend back in August with the governor. Um, and he did various other events. He actually showed at polls during early voting with David Owens. And uh, if he had put that amount of effort that you put in David Owens in, you know, in my race and in your race and Julie's race and others, I think I really could have made a difference. That would have really excited more voters to come to the polls and we could have probably gotten some more Republicans out of the woodworks. Um, but, you know, the, the governor made the decision uh, to, to sit certain races out. And uh, I know that when you and I were at the Republican Senate caucus training back in July, you know, the governor said that, you know, I'll do events with you if you do a, uh, a messaging training or a media training. Um, I know I was never given uh, email or a message from his team uh, uh, with instructions on how to go through this training. Never heard that, of it. That was, the, that was the first time I ever heard of the training and never heard any follow up on it. Never. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and the other, you know, candidates who I spoke to who didn't get any help, uh, none of them heard anything about this training either. So, uh, I think that was just the, it, it was a bunch of fluff. <laughs> that's, that's all it was. Um, but you know, the, the good news is, is that, you know, if you decide to run for Senate, you know, if Julie decides to run for Senate, you know, if I decide, you know, run for Senate in the next four years, you know, Youngkin will not be the governor four years from now. We'll hopefully have another Republican governor that we'll be working with um, or, you know, some other organizations. But, you know, really, after losing the House of Delegates and after not flipping the Senate, Youngkin does not have the political clout that he had two years ago. He just doesn't. And there's going to be some new players that are going to be emerging. Um, I know that there's groups like the Drain the Swamp Pack that are uh, trying to increase their influence in the state of Virginia. Um, and we'll see what other organizations end up uh, rising to that threshold. And I'm just hoping that whatever these organizations are, that they actually provide a wider base support for the Republican candidates who deserve recognition, who deserve mm-hmm. to have um, backing from other conservatives. And, uh, you know, I had someone who had worked on <clears throat> John McGuire's campaign who who texted me and said that the Spirit of Virginia PAC, what they did is that they raised money, um, you know, in the past few months, and uh, they told their donors well, don't give money to individual candidates because we're going to disperse this money to individual candidates ourselves. But, you know, these big time donors were tapped out by the time the election season uh, was wrapping up. And, uh, you know, it, it, it seems like there was a deliberate move from the Spirit of Virginia to keep certain candidates from having access to these this money from these, from these big donors. That that is just horrible, and I had heard the same thing. And my worry is this: that we are not going to be able to get the the quality of candidates to run that we had, because you know they all know that that word's out there that you can run, you you can do this, but you have to understand that there's a good chance that you're not going to get the support. And I think that the party, and I I, I think that the National Republican Party, and also the state party uh there there just needs to be revamping there there needs to be everything even even at the county level the uh the county level uh republican um committees we we could even talk about them because i i don't know that there was a whole lot of support at least for me when i was doing that and uh, by the way i'll even uh, throw in there the party elders so to speak meaning those people that have been in office before as republicans here in virginia that are still in the area are not in office but yet serve as um advisors serve as uh you know mentor or should be serving as mentors uh some of the candidates that were already in elected office um not helping those that were trying to come along they're, they're just as the bottom line is phil i never felt like there was a team this was not a team effort in this election and if you want to look at it uh, you know why did republicans not prevail in virginia and i think that you, you can sum it up as this we were not a team it was a collection of individuals and it was a collection of individuals that were supported based on like you said uh the favoritism the, and I'll tell you this, I, I was really shocked 
that when we went to that training in July, that the goal, the goal, the stated goal was to get 21 seats in the Senate. And I remember saying to someone there, why are we not shooting for 40 seats in the Senate? If you're not in Virginia, we have 40 seats in the Senate. So in other words, I was saying, why are we not working to get every single seat filled? But yet the goal was to get 21 seats. And I thought that that was just right there. I thought that was a failed strategy because we were shooting for the minimum. And I knew that that was a failed strategy because I also knew that we could have capitalized on the sentiment of the people of Virginia and particularly in Northern Virginia where people are very upset with the school boards. They're very upset with the Commonwealth's attorney, the crime rate, uh, fentanyl, human trafficking, on and on and on, which were things that people like Bill Wolf and myself were championing. Because Bill and Bill Wolf and I both have law enforcement backgrounds, but yet um, it, it just we we just couldn't get any traction. And I begged and I pled and and you and I used to talk about this. I used to have conversations with I used to exchange texts with the governor, pleading with him to give support, and it never happened. Yeah, and you know another thing uh, I didn't point out earlier was that you know Ronna McDaniel with the Republican National Committee, um, you know she basically told Virginia, you know, f you, uh, you're on your own, and uh, you know Rich Anderson, uh, who is a former House of uh, Delegates member from Prince William County, who's currently the Republican uh, Party chairman for the entire state. You know, went to Ronna McDaniel and said, we need funding to win these state races. And because Virginia did not uh, overwhelmingly support her reelection earlier this year, you know, uh, my friend Patty Lyman, who I've done a fundraiser with and mm-hmm. did a rally with. Yep, Patty's a good friend. Uh, one, yep. Yeah, and she's one of those uh, RNC committee members from Northern Virginia who did not support her reelection. And I honestly think that Ronna um, made this choice as a punishment for the national committee members not supporting her reelection. And I think it's just a very petty thing to do. And, you know, Yunkin could have gone in, he could have filled that void and say, okay, well, the, the, the chair uh, is being petty, is deciding to not help us at a time of need. I'm going to use the Spear of Virginia PAC. We have millions of dollars and we're going to help in ways the RNC is not. And, you know, that was a golden opportunity for him to step in and show I'm a leader, I'm going to step up uh, when the national RNC is not. But he didn't do it. And, uh, you know, and I think a lot of my supporters in the 11th Senate District are aware of that, you know, because they asked me, so why isn't the governor helping you? You know, why is he on the sidelines? I got a lot of that and, myself. Yep. A lot of voters asked me about that. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and and that's the thing, you know, the, the voters are certainly going to be more skeptical of Yunkin if he runs for a different office in the future. Um, they're they're not going to forget what happened in 2023 because he could have done more. He had the resources to do more, but he just didn't have the will to do more. Mm-hmm. Now, couldn't the same be said about the lieutenant governor, do you think? Yeah, Winsome Sears, yes, she does have uh, another pack, is the forward pack. Um, you know, I don't know off the top of my head uh, how much she's raised, but, oh, absolutely. I mean, she there's more that she could have done as well. And uh, yeah, I think she's following the lead of the governor. You know, if, if Youngkin's deciding not to press forward, 
then she's going to follow that same path. And uh, I honestly don't think that if she runs for governor, that she'll have a lot of support because she'll be tied to really this lame duck Yunkin administration and the failures of 2023. And uh, I think folks are going to be looking for new leadership. I know that Senator Amanda Chase, who lost her um, primary earlier this year and uh, will no longer be the Senate um, starting in January of 2024, um, she's considering a lieutenant governor run. But who knows? She might even decide to run for governor now that uh, Winsome Sears is not going to be as popular of a choice for that seat. And we'll see which other governor candidates end up stepping up in 2025 for that seat. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Does she support you at all in your race? Talking about the Lieutenant governor. You know, I actually saw Winston Sears at a fundraiser for Mark Obenchain. Uh, this was back, uh, I believe it was in uh, June or July. And, you know, she gave me some advice. Um, which was great, you know, just, you know, about education, um, since I had some education questions, um, as a candidate, uh, but I did fill out a, a Google doc and this is one of my political consultants sent to me to request to do an event with her. And we, you know, there was probably five pages worth of stuff to fill in there. Like, you know, who's going to introduce the Lieutenant governor, you know, what venue is it going to be? What's your estimated turnout? I mean, there's a lot of specifics in this form that mm-hmm. they were looking for. You know, is there going to be parking for lieutenant governor to just come straight in? I mean, they want to know all the nitty gritty details. And we filled it out. But we we followed up and we tried to, uh, you know, get the lieutenant governor to say, hey, are, are you willing to do, you know, an event in, you know, the last two weeks of August? It was crickets. We didn't get any response. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, as a Republican Senate candidate, you know, we deserved at least some sort of response mm-hmm. and we, we just didn't get any. So yeah. it was, it was similar treatment to what we got from the governor. It was just kind of, well, we're, we're just going to ignore you because you're not one of our preferred candidates. Yeah. Okay. The reason why I asked that is because it was the same here. I ne- never got a response. I told her at least face to face, at least a couple of, uh, on a, at least a couple of conversations. Uh, uh, different events that I went to, I told her face to face that um, I wasn't getting a response from her. I had been repeatedly emailing her, texting her, nothing, and never got a response. Never got an endorsement. N- nothing. I mean, zero. Nothing. I, and that's what's going to have to change, Philip. That we can't have that. We can't have candidates that have zero support. You know, I in my own race, it was myself. It was my campaign manager, who, by the way, was part-time because he was working on another campaign as well. And then I had some other other individuals that uh, helped out part-time, did phenomenal work. And I'm, I'm very blessed to have the, the help from the individuals that, that were with me because they did phenomenal work, but that was it. And I was up against a, a woman that had tremendous name recognition, uh, at least $1.7 million to play with, and nothing. On my part, the fact that I got over twenty thousand votes is is amazing. The fact that I got a little over thirty eight percent of the vote and won the precincts that I did is truly remarkable, considering the lack of support. I was shocked. I, you know, I Philip, I got to tell you, I was not. I didn't consider myself naive to the political process because you know I'm a political science major, and 
you know, I follow this stuff just like you do. And I study this stuff. But I do have to say that this was a real eye opener to me. The the inside, you know, the inside baseball, so to speak, the the making of the sausage was very very shocking to me. Um, even at the county level, there were people that helped us, but the vast majority just kind of sat it out. I don't know what people were doing, um, but we did not. We were not acting like a party that really wanted to win and is very upset with the direction of the state. We didn't act like it. Did not act like it. They'll talk about it. You go to the meetings and people talk about it, but the actions from the people in the party were not commensurate with what, what they say they're upset about. And I'm I'm just very worried in the future with any candidate that steps up, if they're going to go through the same thing, they're, they're just not going to be successful. They're just not. Because the Democrats are on fire. One thing you have to give them credit for is they take the, the election seriously and they play to win. No doubt about it. They play to win, and we don't, and we're going to have to. And until we get that fire in our belly and we do the things that we need to do to get out and get people motivated, motivated to vote, we're not going to win. And I just don't see any way around that. But it was appalling to me that we had candidates like yourself and me and others up here in Northern Virginia that didn't even get a dime to, to run. I think that yeah. that, that, that absolutely Same. cannot happen yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. We got to make sure it doesn't happen again if we are serious about winning. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, I know I made a a ton of sacrifices. You know, there there was no beach vacation this year for me. There was a lot of things, you know, a lot of time spent away from family. Um, You know, candidates, we, we engage in a lot of personal sacrifice in order to represent the people. And, uh, you know, and, and if people see that, well, all these sacrifices are made and we're not going to get the backing, you know, as you said earlier, we may not have a good quality of candidates um, in the future. And that is certainly a big concern uh, for those of us. But you know, I think we can turn the ship around. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, I'm optimistic that, uh, that, that things can change and uh, we'll have to see what happens. But, you know. Uh, one of the pastors of the Northern Charlottesville Church of Christ, uh, he reads this publication called The Conservative Treehouse, and uh, they go deep in the weeds on uh, what they term the, the uniparty. Um, you know, they say that, you know, some Republicans, and this is particularly Republicans in the establishment, um, certainly not all Republicans, but some, you know, in the, in the political establishment, um, you know, want to you know say the right things to the voters but they don't want to be in a position they don't want to be in the majority because if they're majority that means they actually have the vote on certain bills they'd rather be in the minority so that way that they can advocate for conservative principles but not actually vote on certain things and uh um you know he's talked about you know the whole uniparty concept and i've been skeptical of that myself but you know part of me wonders you know is there backroom deals you know do they go out and say hey we're not going to challenge you louise lucas um you know as long as you don't challenge us in these districts that we want to stay keep republican you know i'm very curious to find out you know are republicans and democrats working together saying we're not going to send resources to these candidates because you know we're going to let you keep these seats but you know make sure you don't fight us in these areas 
Um, so if something like that were ever to come out, that'd be very damning. Mm-hmm. It does make you wonder. I mean, because obviously in our own race, in our own party, there were backroom deals going on. I mean, there's no question about that. <laughs> you know, we... Yeah. <laughs> we we know that, and uh, who knows what they're doing with everyone else. But we can't change this if we're not in office. We cannot change it, and uh, that's my plea to to people. You've got to get out and vote and support the candidates. So, what does the future look like for you, Phil? Uh, are you going to do this again? Well, that's a great question. You know, and right now, you know, I have a history website, HamiltonHistoricalRecords.com. I'm going to go back and. You know, um, add more posts because I love traveling the state of Virginia and our places, um, you know, to write about our American history. Uh, there's, uh, there's actually a place called the Greenbrier, uh, which was built in 1957, uh, you know, after uh, President Eisenhower um, called for an alternative place for United States Congress to meet in the event of a nuclear attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, you know, built during the Cold War. They, I mean, they, they put like 110 urinals in there. I mean, they, it was a big facility um, to house uh, members of Congress um, out in West Virginia. Um, and it was, I think it's about an hour-ish east of, of Charleston, which is where the state capital is in, in West Virginia. Um, but I would like to go out there and do a tour and um, visit that. Uh, that facility. I, I know it was, there was a Washington Post article in 1992 uh, and it was kept secret for decades until that article. And then they decommissioned it and they started doing public tours in 1995. Uh, but I always look for new places to visit uh, for me to write about. Um, but, you know, another thing I'll be doing is working on my blog, the Hamilton Press. I'll be doing volunteer work with the Convention of States um, since they did so much work helping me out as a candidate. Um, another thing I'll be doing is helping out with the Drain the Swamp pack that Velma and Ruth is a part of. And, uh, you know, I know Trump's going to be the nominee, so I would like to go out and door knock and help Donald Trump uh, get the, uh, um, the majority of votes here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So I'll be helping out behind the scenes. And there are some folks who are saying, well, you got the majority of votes in Scottsville. You should run for town council. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I am saying in Albemarle County, I'm not moving to Scottsville, so I'm not running for that local seat. But I am going to take a step back, you know, because I, you know, I ran the House of Delegates two years ago, ran for Senate this year. You know, I, I, I think I would like to run for the Senate seat again in the future. But, you know, I would want to wait a couple years, take a pause, focus on my family. Mm-hmm. And, kind of see where things go um but you know if i do do it again i want to make sure that the infrastructure is in place you know because i don't want to be left hang hanging out dry uh because if if i'm going to fight again i want to fight to win and i want to make sure that i do have the backing and you know i got the most votes of all the republicans that lost so i think the likelihood of me getting support is greater because of that fact but i want to make sure it's still there yeah Uh, focusing on the family you are absolutely correct about that and folks i cannot emphasize enough that this takes so much out of you it really does and everybody around you pays a price and now it's just a shame but now we're we're into 2024 
Um, the, the election cycle has already started, and it, the congressional candidates are going to come up. and And if you can, for us, uh, maybe highlight what are the offices that are that are up for grabs here? Uh, obviously, the president, vice president, uh, but run down the line. What's up for grabs, and what's sort of the rumor mill that you're hearing for candidates well, down in your area? Well, we have. Uh, I mean, U.S. Senate. You know, Tim Kaine. Yep. Um, he's up for re-election, and I've met with many of Senate candidates. Kimberly Lowe. Um, I've seen Jonathan E. Moore. Yep. Uh, I saw, first saw him speak um, in January at a Lobby Day event. It was hosted by Dr. Sheila Fury's Virginia Medical Freedom Alliance, and he gave uh, a powerful speech, you know, against the COVID mandates and illegal immigration and much more. And I think he's certainly a strong candidate. I'm uh, Hung Kao. I, I have not met him in person yet, but I think he's also another strong candidate. Um, Eddie Garcia, I've got to see him multiple times in Nelson County and Amherst, and I think he's running a strong campaign. Uh, he's you know former uh, U.S. Army um, soldier, and uh, you know he's a Latino, um, and I, I think he is running a positive campaign, which was which I certainly like, and. Uh, but we'll see what happens. You know, Chuck Smith is another gentleman. He, uh, we actually did a rally together. Um, uh, it was a get out the vote rally right before election day. And Chuck Smith, he's a Navy veteran. He's a former judge advocate general, and he's very knowledgeable of the United States constitution. Uh, and we're blessed because for this Senate race, we have a lot of great Republican choices. And, uh, you know, I'm going to encourage the folks to come out, Research your candidates, meet with them, and be sure to vote in the primary once you have an educated choice. And, um, <clears throat> you know, of course, in the 11th Senate District, it overlaps with the 5th Congressional District. And, uh, you know, Bob Good, he's uh, my congressman, and he, of course, was part of the speaker race. And, uh, you know, there are some folks who are not so happy about the speaker race. They felt that, uh, you know, it caused a lot of division in the Republican Party. Um, I think it, it's great that we got Speaker Mike Johnson. Uh, I think that, you know, of course, any speaker, there's going to be flaws in him. He's not going to be perfect, but he's certainly better than Kevin McCarthy was. Um, but there's some news articles that came out um, as recent as last month saying that, you know, a Navy SEAL is going to be challenging Bob Good, and of course Kevin McCarthy's not happy that he lost the speakership and that Bob Good was one of the eight Republicans who voted to removal after Matt Gates initiated the vote to vacate. And uh, Kevin McCarthy's got a lot of money behind him, and uh, it looks like him and John McGuire, who just won his tenth uh, Senate district seat two weeks ago, you know, are working together to remove uh, Bob Good from the seat. And I think that Kevin McCarthy is going to be putting in uh, not just thousands, probably millions of dollars into John McGuire's race. I know he gave $5 million to Jen Kiggins, uh, and she ran against Jerome Bell, who Bob Good had endorsed. And Kevin McCarthy came in and squashed um, uh, Jerome Bell's chances by putting that $5 million in that race. And uh, Bob Good's going to have a fight because it's a primary. They got rid of conventions. You know, the last two 
um, challenges that Bob Good had against Dan Moy, uh, who's the Charlottesville Republican chairman, um, and with Denver Riglin, they were both conventions. And with conventions, it, it tends to favor conservatives. But primaries, you know, and especially with all the money that's coming in, I think that John McGuire may have a better chance. He's probably still going to lose because, you know, the Goochland County Republican chair has uh, passed a resolution of no confidence, which was the passed the same day that John McGuire made his campaign announcement, November 15th. Now, I talked to the Fluvanna County chair, the Amherst County chair, Nelson County chair, and also the Louisa County chair. They're all um, asking their membership to pass a resolution of no confidence regarding John McGuire. And specifically, they're not happy that one, that he's announcing this, this congressional race. Um, when he told his voters, I'm not gonna run for Congress. But then right after he wins his race, what does he do? He ends up running for Congress. So there's a lot of uh, folks in the party leadership and just you know, your um, your regular voters who are not happy with uh, this announcement. And, uh, you know, it, I think John McGuire is going to have a very tough road ahead of him. I mean, he, sure, he can outspend Bob Good, but, you know, if the grassroots is not behind you, uh, I don't think he's going to be able to to win the primary. And a lot and of these are, these are people that supported him in his run for the state Senate. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah so they, he they really upset a lot. I know. I know. There's a lot of, a lot of negative uh, comments online about about this. He he did not win any friends by making this announcement. That's for sure. Yeah. It, you know, I was in Appomattox County. You know, because I I have a legal services business. Uh, I actually had to do something for a client of mine at the courthouse in um, in Appomattox, and I went around. I just like talked to different business owners. And uh, there was one, you know, uh, where there's a husband, his wife owns a uh, art gallery in downtown Appomattox. He's a musician, so he plays like open mic events at his wife's business. And he said, hey, I was 100 percent behind John McGuire. I think he's he's going to do a great job as Senate. And then, you know, he told me that when he heard that he was challenging Bob Good, he felt betrayed. Yeah, because. And he said, because John McGuire told me to my face that I'm not going to challenge Bob Good, and he felt lied to. And uh, um, he said he's going to work tooth and nail to stop him from being the next congressman. Wow. And that that was just very telling. I I could just see the anger in this guy's face. Um, And uh, it's, you know, John McGuire's got to take that to account and i know he he's uh, a navy seal and i appreciate his service to this country but i think he uh he he overshot himself you know i think he should have waited um to run you know maybe you know another two years or four years from now but you know he just spent some time in the senate he hasn't even been sworn in the senate yet i know that's the thing he, he's not even been sworn the session hasn't even started oh my yeah. goodness so, I mean, the thing is, uh, uh, Dwayne Adams, who challenged the seat, and, you know, Sandy, who also challenged him for the Senate seat, they both drafted a letter and said that, well, John McGuire should should uh, leave his Senate seat. If Congress is what he wanted, he should let folks who actually wanted to be in the Senate and stay in the Senate uh, be in that position, not someone who just wants to be in Congress. Because let's say hypothetically if John McGuire does win he does win the nomination and then uh and then he'll you know fifth 
congressional district is overwhelmingly Republican. So he'll become the next Republican congressman in 2022. He will only serve one session in the General Assembly as Senate. And uh, he would essentially only spend three months um, as a senator working in the General Assembly. And that'd be it. You know, he'd win in November and then, bam, orientation for Congress. And he'd be sworn in uh, in Congress in 2025. Uh, so, I mean, then you'd have someone else. They'd have to have a special election to fill um, uh, the, the, the next three years in, in the Senate. Mm. Now, with this vote of no confidence, now, what does that mean? Uh, the no com- does that mean that they're moving to have him removed from that seat, or what? What is that? What is that? Well, there's nothing legally binding from that. It it just shows that the members of the Republican committee for that specific county are not behind his race; that they're supporting the incumbent congressman Bob Good. I mean, you know, the committees they they really can't say, "Oh, we're going to spend money on you know one incumbent, you know, or like one Republican candidate over another," you know. Because really, committees, they're supposed to allow both candidates, you know, if they're running as Republicans, to speak at the committee meetings. But this this resolution, no confidence, can influence the committee members and where they spend their dollars. Because, uh, you know, you, you, some of these high-dollar donors are in the committees, they're members. And if they see that the party leadership doesn't support a particular candidate, they say, well, I'm going to support the incumbent because of this uh, – no confidence resolution. So I think it does, you know, it doesn't influence how the committee spends its money, but it does influence how the committee members may um, choose gotcha. to spend the yeah. money they don't. Yeah, that's a, t- that's a tough one because I, I like John. I really do. I, I think he's a tremendous guy. He's a solid guy. Uh, not sh- really sure what he was thinking. Um, well, I mean, I do understand what he's thinking, I, but I think the timing is just, wow. Uh very poor timing. I, I really do, and it, and it may cost him, and it may cost him in the future. You know. Yeah. And, and another thing to add to it too is that when you're in the general assembly, you're not allowed to fundraise. So between January and March, he won't be able to fundraise for his congressional race. So I think that's another reason why he announced so soon. Because hey, I, I need November. I need December. In the beginning of January, the fundraise before I start. Uh, my term as as, as a senator, mm-hmm. uh, and he realized that I only have a, a narrow amount of time to raise money. And you know, Bob Good, he's he's in Congress. He doesn't have the limitation. He can fundraise in January. He can fundraise in February. He can fundraise in March. So, um, so I think John McGuire uh, acknowledges that he will be behind financially. Um, if he doesn't have help from Kevin McCarthy in that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he does get, you know, like, let's say five or $10 million from Kevin McCarthy, um, the fact that he can't fundraise between, you know, January and March will be irrelevant because he'll have more money in the, in the, um, in the treasury than, uh, than good would have. So, but we'll see what happens. Wow. That's tremendous insight. Well, Philip, I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. I mean, just, I mean, this is very educational for the people that, uh, you know, just people out there in Virginia that don't follow this day in and day out like we do. 
really are just scratching their heads wondering what the heck happened in this election. And I think it's it's helpful to the, the voters to hear this insight, and hopefully it will inspire and motivate them to get out and participate in this process and help the candidates. Because I hope... I hope, hope, hope that we're going to continue to get good candidates. Hey, we've got, we're already in the 2024 cycle right now. And don't know up here who's going to be running for Congress. That's that's really what's going to be up for grabs up here. Be interesting to see how this plays out because there were candidates that uh, uh, I know the governor thought was going to win, didn't win. And then there's others that, uh, that were uh, in office that didn't win. And um, there were some surprises. There really were. But we'll see what everybody does from here on out. So, hey, Philip, thanks again. And we're going to have you back on the show again soon. I promise you. Well, great. Well, well, thank you for having me on this evening. Uh, God bless you. I hope you me have too. a great Thanksgiving holiday and that you have a great Christmas. You too. You too. And everybody, thank you for joining us here. And I know that this was educational for you. And, you know, listen, keep following the candidates, keep supporting the candidates because we can do that. We can save this great commonwealth of ours. We can save this nation of ours because Lord knows we need, we need good people stepping up to office. So get out and support them. You guys take care of yourselves. We'll be talking with you soon. This is Mike Van Meter, the Mike Van Meter Show. See you next time. Take care. All right, Mike. Well, um, still there?